um, done a couple of talks which I think have been quite challenging. I, maybe this is the, more about me than it is about you, but I'm, this might be the most challenging one yet. So um, I think you're going to have to do a little bit of work this morning. You know, there are some sermons that when you write them, you think, oh, that's great. I'm really looking forward to preaching that. Everyone's going to be wow at the end of it. I'm afraid this is not one of them. <laughs> this is a bit like you've got to do a little bit of excavation. You've got to open yourself and be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with anybody else, but you need to be honest with yourself and probably with God. Um, I think I know what I'm trying to say. I'm absolutely convinced, I've told you this before, I'll only preach that of which I am convinced. So I'm convinced of the truth of this message, even if I get the words wrong. So go with the message rather than Ian's words this morning, in case I get them wrong. (laughs) And by that, I mean, I might just not explain it very well. Um, Although that's all right, actually, because you know Jesus told parables and nobody had a clue what he was on about. (laughs) And even when he did explain them, we're still arguing about what he meant. <laughs> so that's okay. And it's okay if you go away ruminating. Actually, it's, it's okay if you don't agree with what I say. God will tell you one day that I was right. But anyway. <laughs> no, it's okay to disagree. This is just my, it's just the way I am, isn't it? I, I offer you what I've got. And you have to take it away and wear it. So, um, right, let's go. I once asked a friend of mine who was a vicar. I asked him this question. What is the hardest part of your job? And he answered without hesitation. Oh, that's easy. He said, the hardest part of this job is working with and trying to help people who do not want to change. It was the same vicar who I spent many hours talking over uh, over a number of years about all sorts of different things. It was the same vicar who taught me many things about myself which are and were extraordinarily helpful in me learning about who I am. It was the same vicar who would phone me the evening before the start of the term, the school term, when I was teaching. And when I asked him why he did this, he said, well, I know what you're like, Ian. He said, you'll be sitting worrying about the first day of term when there's absolutely nothing left you can do to be ready. So I phone you so you won't be worrying, you'll be talking to me. It was the same vicar who helped me understand that I would be much better off going out and doing something the evening before term started, because otherwise I would simply be sitting at home worrying. It was also the same vicar who in one of our conversations said to me, you do realize, Ian, there are things about you that will never change. He helped me to understand that because of life circumstances and because of the particular way that I am wired up, I will always find some things easy, and I will always find other things hard, some of them very hard. God's greatest desire is that those he loves reach their full redemptive potential. God's greatest desire for you, right now in these moments, is that you reach your full redemptive potential. That's another way of saying that God's greatest desire for you is that you become the best person you can be. The truth is 
that God loves you just the way you are right now in these moments. That is deeply and profoundly true. Some of us struggle with this mightily, don't we? We're quite happy to believe that for the person sitting next to us. But when we have to believe it for ourselves, that's a whole different ballgame. But the truth is, God loves us just the way we are right now. He looks down, and he might be doing this right now, although that is speculation rather than theology. He looks down, he nudges Gabriel, and he looks at you and he goes, I am especially fond of this one. And I am especially fond of this one. Right now, in these moments. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he does in these moments right now. I'm still trying to figure that out and I'm still trying to give up all the things I'm doing to make God love me more. Just like you probably. But there is nothing I can do that will make him love me more. There is nothing I can do that will make God love me less. If you don't believe me, read the story of Samson. The story of Samson is challenging, sometimes frightening, and ugly, and certainly violent. Samson appears to get many things wrong and he lives in a way we mostly find hard to understand. And yet, the Lord blessed him and the Lord loved him. So when you find yourself in the story of Samson, which I think you probably will this morning, you are greatly loved by God. Does that mean Samson grew to reach his full redemptive potential? Well, we've already seen that it may be that Samson was totally oblivious to what God was trying to do in him. Commentators think he never even got that. Perhaps Samson never reached his full redemptive potential because he was reckless and foolhardy and spent his time pursuing happiness rather than giving himself to the agitating pull of God's Spirit within him. I love that. I nicked that out of a book. I'm going to read it again. Perhaps Samson never reached his full redemptive potential because he was reckless and foolhardy and spent his time pursuing happiness rather than giving himself to the agitating pull of God's spirit within him. My contention is that for Samson to have reached his full redemptive potential, there were things about him that really needed to change. And, and I think, well, I know it's true of me, and my best guess is I think it will be true of you too. You are greatly loved by God. You are. You are greatly loved by God. His greatest desire is that you reach your full 
redemptive potential. And yet the truth is, some things will need to change. So perhaps the question becomes, will you live like Samson or will you respond and follow the pull of God's Spirit within you? I'm going to read from Judges chapter 15, the last verse of the chapter and then the first bit of chapter 16. So chapter 15, verse 20. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. It appears that by the time we get to this point in Judges, in term, by the time we get to chapter 16, that Samson has been leading Israel for 20 years. He's not been a leader in the way that we would, might recognize today, and he's not been a judge in a kind of a formal sense of the word. Um, and he's been a leader of Israel in the days when Israel was ruled by the Philistines. Perhaps at best, Samson's leadership was about the inspiration he gave with his little skirmishes with the Philistines at various points, some of which we've read about. And after 20 years, the Philistines are still in control. Some commentators want to add the word then at the beginning of chapter 16 as a more accurate translation. Now, if you take out the chapter breaks, which weren't there in the original text, remember, and you add the word then, here's what we read. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Then one day he went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. Some things about Samson haven't changed, have they? 20 years as some sort of leader or judge, and then one day he goes to Gaza to visit a prostitute. He is still being led by his eyes. Perhaps you could say 20 years and nothing has changed. The last Philistine woman his eyes led him to, as far as is recorded, betrayed him. So will this one betray him. If you don't believe me, go and read the rest of the chapter. Just not reading it for the sake of time this morning. Twenty years, and nothing seems to have changed. Gaza was one of the Philistines' more important cities and was deep in their territory. It begs the question, why did Samson go all the way to Gaza? Gaza is some 40 miles from Samson's home and it is deep in enemy territory, but he goes anyway, placing himself in considerable danger. Maybe some things need to change. Perhaps Samson believes he's invincible. After all, up to this point, he hasn't been captured yet, has he? And perhaps being away from home 
gives him the disguise he wants so that he can follow his eyes one more time. I'm wondering if there's a truth here that is the same for us. It is the truth that we are all victims of temptation. Temptation lurks at our door just as it did at Samson's door. So Samson goes to Gaza a long way from home, taking a risk, feeling invincible. Perhaps that's what temptation offers us too. It's different. It's unpredictable. It's risky. Temptation draws us to the fowler's snare, the very place change needs to happen if we are to reach our full redemptive potential. Perhaps Gaza represents the fowler's snare in many different ways. But perhaps most importantly, Gaza is found within each of us in different ways. A foreign city within us with a different moral landscape, a place of spice and adventure. A habit we keep to ourselves, but we know in truth is destructive. A fantasy we regularly revisit, something we refuse to change. Gaza could be the place we go where we are a very different person to the person we are at home or here this morning in church. I had a lovely, deeply honest conversation with a team member on a beach mission over the summer. They recognize that it is really easy to be a Christian when you are immersed in a beach mission and part of a team. But what they wanted was to be the same person they were on the beach mission in all the places that they go, to live in the same way in every place. Gaza can be the places we go where we are a different person, where we act differently or speak differently or think differently to the person we are when we gather here or when we're sitting with others in our life group. So how are you doing, friends? I'm wondering if there are things that perhaps need to change. Samson had led Israel for 20 years and still took trips to Gaza. One commentator writes, Entrenched sin divides our hearts and minds, confuses us, depresses us, it promises us life and then steals it away. Entrenched sin divides our hearts and minds, confuses us, depresses us, it promises us life and then steals it away. So I'm wondering, how are you doing? God's greatest desire is that you reach your full redemptive potential. There is, however, a battle raging, and it is the battle for your heart and mind. 
There is another who wants to steal your heart away from reaching your full redemptive potential, one who comes to kill and steal and destroy. And he is skilled in the art and use of temptation. It's a tactic he's used since the very beginning. Did God really say, you will be like God? And he's clever. He knows your weaknesses. His desire is to trap you in his foulest snare and keep you there. Samson appears to think that he can keep escaping, and at one level, it appears to be true, doesn't it? But he led Israel for 20 years, and then one day, he goes to Gaza. Nothing's changed. Perhaps Satan's greatest asset is that he is patient. He will wait. And Satan is prepared to wait for you too. I once went on a survival weekend. Actually, it was more like a survival 36 hours. We had to build a shelter. We had to learn how to make a fire so that it gave off lots of smoke so that you'd get found. We had to ration our food. And we had to make ourselves easy to find. That's the art of survival. If you get found, you survive. At the end of the time, we were shown how to build a trap for small animals like rabbits. Right? The problem, we were told, about building a trap to catch food is one of time. If you make an animal trap, you have to be patient because the truth is that no animal will go near a trap if they catch a scent of the one who put it there. So you're looking at probably two weeks after you've set the trap before any animal will go near it. That's not good for survival because you need food and you need food now. You simply don't have time to wait. For an animal to get caught in the fowler's snare requires time and patience. Mostly, I think, if we understood that we were heading once more for Gaza, we would probably do something about it and try to avoid it. If we were recognized the danger we are putting ourselves in, we would want out. But the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy is clever and patient, and he knows when and where we are weak and vulnerable. He knows that given time, we are prone to return to the fowler's snare. Ever heard of Eric Weiss? You have, but you know him as Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini's real name, Eric Weiss, was, as you know, an escapologist of extraordinary talent. He could escape, it seemed, from anything, whether it was ropes, chains, handcuffs, straight jackets. He even did that thing where he had to hold his breath. He'd go in a tank, he could hold his breath for three minutes and still escape. He gained a reputation for being invincible. They've made films about how he died, which aren't true. Here's what happened. One night, while he was in his dressing room in Montreal in 1926, a young boxer asked him 
if it was true that he could take any punch to the abdomen. Only half paying attention, Houdini said, yes, of course he could. As Houdini stood from the couch on which he was sitting, the boxer suddenly unleashed three punches to his stomach. The blows ruptured his appendix. At the end of the show, two nights later, he collapsed, and he died a few days later, the result of fatal blows he was not ready for. Satan will wait. You are greatly loved by God. You are. Right now, in these moments. And God's greatest desire for you is that you reach your full redemptive potential. And he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He does not want you to be trapped in a fowler's snare. Jesus said this, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We can choose to live like Samson, who one day went to Gaza, or we can live in the truth that God longs for us to live in, freedom, freedom from things that lead us to Gaza. Now, the truth about this, friends, is that we may need and require help and the wisdom of others in doing this. We may need to make ourselves accountable in some areas of life. We will certainly need to be honest with ourselves and honest before God. But God has our very best interests at heart and he longs for us to reach our full redemptive potential. And God in his magnificent love is endlessly patient. He is waiting, longing, hoping that you will turn to him again in these moments. Amen.